You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Nerds! Big friendly welcome to all of you perverts and deviants out there. Welcome to Sell Porn or Die Trying. I'm your host, Connor Young. And if you were the type of person who would make Tipper Gore cry, then we are very happy to have you here on the show with us today. Welcome. Today we're going to be talking with Todd Yanks. He is the owner and founder of Yanks Cash, uh, industry veteran who I've known for a long time. I think you're going to love this interview. It's really interesting. He's a very fascinating person and more about Todd here in a moment. And I also wanted to, to, to let everyone know, because I want to brag about this, I'm excited about this, that I got the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine this week. And the first day I got, the, I got this dose, I instantly wanted to run out and, I don't know, run into a bar or celebrate or something or get around people, but I got to wait it out for two weeks. First day, I didn't really feel anything, uh, maybe a little bit of numbness, not numbness, a little bit of soreness in the arm, and that was about it. And I thought, man, second dose, I'm getting away with this, no symptoms, this is great. I woke up the next day, and from an energy point of view, I felt like somebody had hit me with a magical anti-energy Thor uh, uh, hammer of death. I was tired, (laughs) very, very tired and foggy, and I thought, man, I guess I didn't get away with this. But the good news is it was short-lived, it didn't last very long. And by, I don't know, maybe 12 hours later, I was completely back to my normal self and feeling great. And now I am sort of fully vaccinated. I have to wait the two weeks out, but I'm very excited about the future here. And I'm starting to think, man, what's it going to look like here soon as more and more of the, the, the population of my country and hopefully wherever you're listening, if you're not listening from the United States, hopefully your country's off to a good start with these vaccinations as well. And what's that going to look like for us coming up soon? In a few few months, when a larger percentage is vaccinated, what's that going to mean for business? What's that going to mean for adult industry shows later in the summer or into the fall, uh, early 2022? It's going to be so exciting to get back around people, assuming some horrible variant doesn't show up and, and throw a monkey wrench in everybody's plans. So far, though, I'm very optimistic about how this is going down. So it's got me thinking about business in 2021 and what's going to unfold. And and yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Then you add into the good news that I don't like the company, the uh, CEO of Chase Bank. Chase Bank is not friendly to our industry. They are complete assholes. Uh, but that said, their CEO does have his ear to the ground on the economy. And he has been out touting that they are expecting good times ahead for us here in 2021, 2022, and into 2023. Economically, the he's saying there's a lot of people who from stimulus and, and other such measures have money in their bank accounts now. There's an appetite to get back out there and, and do things. People are excited about maybe the end of the pandemic, hopefully. And I feel that. That's exactly how I feel. So he's right. There's a lot of us who really are excited about that. And I'm one of them. And uh, that's really great news. If we have an economic boom boom that lasts into uh, 2023, man, that's great. So now is the time. Uh, probably a while back was the time. But if, if you didn't get started, now is a good time to get started in thinking about what you're going to do with your business. And are you? do you have your services, your products, your offerings, your, your marketing plan? Do you have all this stuff in place? Are you starting to think about where you might go if there's industry events, when you're going to feel comfortable to travel so you can get back out there and reconnect with your industry. Now's a good time to start making plans. So you can, if there is an economic boom, it's not going to last forever. It might last for a few years, it sounds like, which is fantastic. So you're going to want to be ready to take advantage of that. So, so hey, get ready for that. On the perhaps less wonderful side of the news is there seems to be more and more politicians who are trying to use our industry as a scapegoat for their own failures. Case in point, we learned this week that Paul Gossar, a congressman here in the United States, is asking for the Department of Justice to investigate and go after OnlyFans. He's claiming that, hey, there are some 
models on the site who advertise that they will travel across state lines. So therefore, that's obviously prostitution is what he's saying. And he wants the DOJ to use this old law called the MAN, M-A-N-N Act, uh, to target OnlyFans. He's saying that, you know, once somebody's, the, the platform's promoting these people, he, I guess he's claiming on purpose and that they're benefiting from it and they're traveling across state lines. And here in the United States, when you have people going across state lines to engage in sex and there's like payment involved in it, some people will claim that that is quote unquote sex trafficking, which sounds horrible, right? That's a term that you hear sex trafficking. Hey, this guy's involved in sex trafficking. Who wants anything to do with that guy? Nobody does. It's a devastating term. And that's why it's used in cases like this by politicians, because it's sort of one of those ways you try to win the argument before anyone even has a discussion about it. Now, on the positive side, the United States has changed a lot over the years since I first got in the business. There's way less of an appetite for politicians going after adult content to the extent that people see through it and know that this is nothing more than maybe you're more um, socially conservative people who don't like porn trying to influence porn. And in the case of Paul Gossart, this guy's involved in a number of scandals. He's been accused of being, how, how do I put it, um, friendly with some of the individuals involved in the Capitol riot. Uh, he's got another buddy in Congress who's fa- who himself is facing uh, potential charges of sex trafficking uh, for for um, you know the accusation uh, being that they're looking into is whether or not he coerced a minor into crossing state lines uh, to have sex with him. So he he's got scandals going on, and he's pointing to OnlyFans. Of course, it's a big distraction. I think a lot of people will see past it, and of course, you have he's not in uh, in the party that, that currently holds the White House here in the United States. So the chances of the DOJ being overly anxious to take on this guy's political distraction seems pretty small. Uh, but the fact that he's out there pointing to OnlyFans and trying to make him a target, it's something to keep an eye on. And I say that only because it's not just this one, uh, this one congressman. We've seen a couple of instances of the largest platforms having to deal with getting targeted. When you're at the top, you draw a lot of attention. OnlyFans has gotten an incredible amount of press. The other one that gets a lot of press is MindGeek. And when you're that visible and you're making that much money, you're going to get targeted. So we need we do need to watch this and be aware that it's happening and see how it goes down. I don't see anything that's like a, a freak out yet, but I do think adult companies need to start looking at their own practices, their own procedures and say, you know, is there anything that, that I'm doing? Is there anything that, that I'm not doing that I should be doing, I guess is what I'm trying to say with respect to keeping my platform safe. It's a fine line to walk. I know companies who are just running platforms don't want to get involved in censorship, et cetera. Uh, but at the same time, we also don't want our platforms to be misused by by criminals or people who are engaging in in, in bad acts. So that's something I think all of the, uh, especially the larger adult companies are going to need to do is to start taking a look at their platforms and saying, all right, are we doing what we need to do here? Or are there certain policies, procedures, steps that we need to, to put into place to to make sure that our platforms are are safe? and being used by the people who we intend them to be used by and nobody else. So that's something that we've we've got to look into going into 2021. Now, with respect to Todd Yanks, uh, this interview, I'm really excited by to share this interview with you. I think it's it's fascinating because Todd is a really fascinating guy. I remember Todd uh, many years ago as the fresh, uh, fresh-faced guy who was brand new to the industry, going to events and showing up at at seminars and asking a lot of questions and always from the very beginning engaging in the discussion. He was somebody who wanted to be part of the community from the start and and would listen. He was not somebody who showed up with an ego uh, who thought he knew everything, but he would listen to what others had to say, but also very competent to express his own opinions and ideas and share those with others. He's somebody who always 
was on your side. He was rooting for your success. You have all kinds of people in the business, some who kind of want others to fail and some who are really on your side and saying, I want to be successful myself and I want you to be successful as well. And that is definitely Todd. And you're going to get a sense of that from him just from listening to the guy talk. You're going to know what kind of a guy he is. Additionally, Todd has always been very interested in industry ethics, saying, what can we do to make the industry even better? He's never been satisfied to sort of sit down and say, hey, we're doing great. There's nothing we need to do. We're perfect. He's always looked at the industry and said, where can we do better? And you will hear that from him in this interview, talking about that general discussion. He actually takes MindGeek a bit to task. This is not somebody who just hates on MindGeek. So you're not, if you're thinking someone who's just out there angry and mad at, at MindGeek because of the the whole controversy about how they get started and if there was copyright, that's not what he's here to do. But what he is here to do is to take them to task a little bit for not taking a a larger leadership role in the industry. MindGeek has a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. They have a lot of traffic. And Todd talks about what he thinks they, they ought to be doing with that influence and that and that and um, all those resources and how they can be a bigger part of the overall solution. So we talk about that. We talk about Todd. Uh, Todd's company has attracted a lot of, um, there's a lot of women who enjoy the content that, that his company has put out. So we talk a little bit about that, about the misconceptions that are out there that porn is for men, when in fact porn is for both men and women. And if there are things that 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 companies can do to make sure that their the products that they're putting out are uh, friendly to women, that doesn't mean that you're that you're you're creating like porn for women specifically, uh, but just things that you can do that make sure that there's a wide audience that's going to enjoy your 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 content. We talked a little bit about that. And because his company has such a good track record there, that's that's an interesting topic to to hear his thoughts on. And we also talk about MindGeek's recent issues with Visa MasterCard um, and and what happened there. And a topic that's near and dear to my heart is the problem of short-term thinking. Companies that get into this business and they just engage in short-term thinking, they're not looking at the big picture and why that's not a good thing. And we see this all the time and I was really happy to hear Todd take up that that topic and share his thoughts on that. So, all right, here it is. Without further ado, this is me talking with Todd Yanks, the founder and owner of Yanks Cash. Enjoy. Todd, I uh, just want to thank you uh, first off for coming on the show and talking with us today. I know you're busy, so uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on the show. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's um, an honor. I'm glad I'm kind of back to the old um, Hump Day Wednesday show. It's good. Oh, man, that's uh, drop, name dropping. <laughs> why not, for those who don't know, why not did a radio show back before podcasts were a thing, um, back before there was really an iTunes podcast thing, and it was uh, Why Not Radio, and we had a hump day lunch show uh, that that um, my business partner Jay and former Why Not owner Bob Rice did um, every Wednesday, so <laughs> that's that's a blast from the past right there. Yeah, it's the first thing I thought about, because I'm like, we're here basically at the same time, which is crazy, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to be part of it. That's right. Wednesday it is. Um, hey, so um, obviously uh, you and I know each other for, uh, you know, we go back here, so we've known each other a long time. But for the people who don't know you, um, maybe you could start off by just talking a little bit about um, the work you've done in the adult industry and, um, and where your sort of core area of expertise are and just talk a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my partner, uh, Billy... And I, uh, we started the um, the company in 2002. Um, the two of us were partners, uh, life partners. She's been my girlfriend for the last uh, 22 years, and we've been partners in business for um, for the last 19. I think it's we're coming up on our 20th anniversary. Uh, so we started uh, Yanks.com was our flagship site under the affiliate program Yanks Cash, and the idea behind Yanks was essentially to do. Um, you know, basically kind of an organic porn. Um, we just did Girl Girl and Solo Girl. And the idea behind it was just to allow girls to just be themselves and to, to masturbate to natural orgasms without with very little direct direction. 
um, and very little intrusion on our part. Um, just to record in the highest quality that we could put out on the web at the time or at any time um, and just go from there. Um, and it, it took off in 2002 and we've been going ever since. Very cool. So here we are in, in 2021 now, actually early 2021. Um, and as you kind of look around now in terms of your own activities, uh, what sort of projects have you been working on lately? And are you seeing any areas for like new business that you're saying, hey, we want to get into that? Um, you know, for the, so, so COVID has been a, a weird year for everybody, obviously, um, for myself, what I've been actually doing is kind of focusing on, on writing a book about my experiences in adult and the experiences of, of starting Yanks in itself, um, at the first time period of, of kind of the early two thousands and what that took to get into it. Um, you know, on the, on the adult side, We've really just been trying to to refocus our message and refocus our narrative uh, about what our product is, because I believe that uh, kind of coming into 2021, what we've been doing has become more interesting to um, to the people that are kind of entering the porn market. Um, we've always been very popular with women and very popular with couples. So in that regard, we've just been really trying to get our story out. And I think so many of the things that have been happening in the adult industry um, with the lessening of content uploaded, you know, to the tubes right now that are that is that is kind of unauthorized. It's allowed us to focus our message and be more seen, quite frankly. Yeah. Just to touch on something you just said there, um, you know, being popular with with women. Um, this is actually something that I've found interesting. Um Early on in, in this industry, it felt like when people wanted to make content for women, they would, uh, I don't know, there were certain things they would do that kind of gave it a little bit of a um, cliche feel and it didn't seem like it ever caught on per se. Um, I, I wonder if, if people overthought it in the past and if you found success with women because you're not, you're not really specific. Are you specifically trying to make your porn for women or are you just making good porn and women are attracted to, to it as a result? Yeah, so I think that's a that's a really interesting point I mean, because I, I I do think people overthought it. They're always like, okay, like I mean, so so for for starters, like I just do want to clarify, me as a guy, like I, I'm certainly not the expert on what women like for porn, but I can just speak to the customer interactions we've had with with you know hundreds of women's women over the years. Um, so from my perspective, what I believe Yanks has worked for women in that regard. Has just been because we don't focus it. We, we don't we don't sit down to do a shoot and be and, and try to uh, target that demographic. What we do is we make a natural scene. We 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 take out the male gaze. We we only use female photographers and we only use female videographers, female editors, female content writers. So once we just took out that male gaze. Um, I think that naturally um, it became more appealing for women. And, you know, like I think I think when people try to target women, they also overthink it in the sense that they're looking for sensitivity and looking for stories. And I, th I think women, women are just as pervy as men. They're just they're, they're they've, they've got just as broad of a base of sexual interest as men. So you really can't target it. You just need to. In each in each in each niche, you just need to make it with a female gaze. Yeah, I I, I definitely see what you're saying there, and I, I I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, you know, back in the day, like you know the older days uh, when people were targeting women, you know, every shot had like was loaded with candles and the you know sensitive music and all that kind of stuff. And it just um, I think over the years, one of the interesting things about the internet is there's so much content out there, women have been able to just sort of select what they like, right? And so rather than somebody telling them, hey, this is what you like, right? They're just finding the content that they like and and, and consuming that content. And um, as a result, I think what you were saying is, is really coming to light. I don't know if people really realize that, hey, yeah, there are a lot of women out there who like porn, right? There was always this idea that porn was just for, for guys. I think we're finding that's not the case. Um, one of the interesting things about about the modern adult industry, um, when you and comparing the modern adult industry to when you started, which I mean, I guess wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But if you're talking 
early 2000s. What do you remember about that time, about the adult industry? What was, for anyone who wasn't there at that time, um, how would you describe it? Well, I mean, I think it was a lot, it was a lot more simple. I mean, you know, the adult industry was quite simple. Um, you know, when you, when you went to a show, you, it was, it was about very simple traffic trades, very simple trades on, you know, Hey, um, you know, put me up on your exit. And, um, there was a really blunt approach by affiliates, which worked of downloading a bunch of galleries from, from good quality sites. And then just, and then putting those gallery galleries, whether you paid for spots or whether you were able to get them naturally up there, um, on different areas and you had just just massive volume of tra- massive amount of traffic just moving to those galleries and then and then converting it was just it was all very blunt and really quite simple um so you know what's changed now especially on the affiliate side is that i think that affiliates need to you know recognize the narratives of the the sites that they're promoting and recognize the nuances of the sites that they're promoting and understand, you know, how to target, you know, specific demographics that are going to like that, that, that niche, um, you know, going back to the, to the, um, the porn for women, um, you know, I, I think that you can't just create porn for women, but, you know, as an affiliate, if you're looking at sites and you want to, you want to sell to the female demographic, I think you need to find sites that are focusing on creating content and creating porn that women are involved in, that women are getting pleasure from, like in the videos, you know, that to me is where I think, you know, the, the, the key there is, you know, so I think what's changed in the industry is that it's just, it's not just this blunt movement of traffic. It's this understanding the nuances of what you're promoting and, understanding where you can find the quality content and probably understanding a certain niche. I don't know that you're going to be successful at every niche. You you know, you need to find the ones that you understand, which, you know, becomes a personal thing as well. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that we didn't really have uh, social media, right? I mean, it's weird to think of that now because Facebook is just so um, ingrained in, in, in culture, uh, Twitter, um, you know, all these different um, social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok. We didn't have these things when I got started in the business. Um, I, I'm trying to think when they started popping up, but they're, they're either weren't there when you got started and or they were, um, they were in the be- most beginning of their, of their stages. Um, what for, for, for being in this business now, when you're getting into this business now, um, like what has changed? Why is it like we used to go to shows and like you said, you do simple traffic trades. Um, people would, would, would do business together. Everybody was making money on some level, right? Whether it was a little or a lot, it didn't take very long to start, you know, putting up your, your uh, galleries or whatever and you're making money. What's changed? Why is it so much harder to, to, to make money now? Why does it take a little more time before people see those first checks? Well, I think, so in my opinion, there's always been this, you know, is traffic king or is content king? And that's, it's always been this debate. And I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a balancing act that I think in the beginning was, had a really nice equilibrium that, that allowed people to be successful. They could find good content. The traffic was easy and it was simple. So it was a very balanced, it was a very balanced equation. What I think you're seeing now or in the last few years, is that the balance has gotten a little, you know, it got a little out of whack in, uh, to where people were valuing traffic to such an extent and just valuing ads to sell for the views and just ads and ads to sell for the views, to sell for the views, whether that traffic was really productive, whether it was going to a good product or not. You know, so I think, I think that what I see in 2021 is, is that starting to come back into balance um, for a variety of reasons, but I think that's going to come into a balance where where product um, and narrative becomes key. Um, you know, you mentioned social media, and I think it's interesting because there was a you know for for a number of years, you know, influencers on Instagram became this really big thing, and I think people have becoming become kind of tired of the influencer, you know, quote unquote, um, that just goes to places and takes pictures. And what they want is to see, you know, those same influencers who create content, who create value, who create something of substance. So I think that that's why it's become harder for affiliates to make money 
is because we've we've allowed that scale to tilt towards just raw traffic and raw cycling of views versus cycling of views for something, for an end product. And I think if that scale starts to tip, um, affiliates will have an easier time because there'll be more opportunities to sell good product. Yeah, and I guess I was trying to lead you a little bit, uh, I'll, I'll admit to leading the witness a little bit with social media. <laughs> and I've always thought that... Um, I've always thought that there's when you're when you're trying to promote an adult product online, you're not just competing with other adult websites, right? I mean, it might look like that at first, like, hey, this is my competition, but in truth, you're competing with everything, right? You're competing with uh, Facebook. So, if somebody's zombie scrolling on Facebook, they're not on your on your porn site. If somebody's uh, screwing around on Twitter, if someone's watching Netflix. If somebody's going to Disneyland, right? It, it, whatever they're doing that's taking up their time, that they're not on your uh, your platform, um, that's 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 a chance that you don't have to to make a sale, I guess. Um, so obviously, the, over time, how much of that traffic do you think that like like the eyeballs effectively? If you're talking about online, they always could go to Disneyland, but now social media is so addictive, right? We we've, we're hearing a lot about this with people feeling like they're losing control, checking Twitter right before bed. Um, there was a social dilemma documentary that came out. Do you think that's a big problem that like, how do you get people off of social media to do anything else these days? Or am I, do you think I'm overthinking it maybe? Uh, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely a problem. Um, especially like with zombie scrolling right now in the last, just over the last four years, there's just been, you know, so much oxygen sucked out of the room, you know, in anything other than politics and what's going on in, in the States and, and, and of course the pandemic, um, and the horror of that, um, so I believe that in, in 2021, we're kind of coming into the time where maybe there'll be a little bit of calm. Um, and, you know, in regards to social media, it's not going to be about all about politics and all about the pandemic and all about the things we've been focusing on for the last, you know, two or three years. Um, so I think it's going to open up people to seeing other things. I think they're just going to, you know, be able to take a deep breath and, and, look at what books are out and what porn is out and what, um, you know, movies that aren't on Netflix are out when movies open again. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that that's going to come about, you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny. I think of, I compare it a little to like when I go to Las Vegas, uh, for a show and I spend like anywhere from three to seven days in Las Vegas and that city really amps you up, right? It's got a lot to see and it's very, exciting and there's just excess stimulation being thrown at you everywhere you go uh and then when you when you're done so it could be like the day after the show and everybody's gone home or even when you just get back to the office there's a period of winding down because you're amped up internally and i wonder if the last year these things that you're talking about all the drama and politics and you know, big existential problems. And like, all of a sudden, if we go into a period of normal, it's going to take people like a little while to sort of amp down, like they just got back from some uh, crazy, uh, uh, overstimulating Vegas trip. And now they need to kind of chill a little bit and get back to normal. Well, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's what a journey, right? Like, it's, um, you know, like I, I, using your Vegas analogy there, it's really interesting. I, you know, I used to fly, you know, you go to Vegas, you come back to San Diego or Phoenix. And when you're, coming into the airport um it's everything's just muted right it's just muted it's kind of bland you're like you know there's lights but they're not blinking there's they're not you know strobing there's not like just it's not just crazy um so i think there's that part of it but then it's really weird too because you know i'm in it so right now i'm in scotland um south of edinburgh and i'm in a smaller town and when i go out everything's muted and everything's like you know, so there's this kind of this opposite effect too, where there's this online, like just, we're all online and we're, you know, uh, you know, two or three months ago, it's like, there's just this fighting. There's just, we're, we're just talking about so many things. And then your, you know, your offline life is so muted and it's so boring. And so I think is that transitions, I mean, what does happen? You know, what does happen? It's really interesting. I just, I feel like people, it's almost like the, you know, kind of the roaring 20s, you know, after the pandemic of 1918, you know, that may be a possibility to come back where people are just like, you know, enjoying being out, enjoying restaurants, but, you know, also enjoying porn, enjoying, um, you know, digesting good books, 
and and good movies and good media and good entertainment and they're getting away from the political fights and just looking at what content has been created during this this really intense time because intense times create good content um not not so much porn we're not shooting but the content will be there for them to want to digest yeah it's 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 definitely interesting times i think about all the time about if this pandemic had hit before we really had an established internet, either in the early days of the internet or even before the internet. Um, Cause like being isolated, like so many people are, um, you know, we have the internet as that outlet. And if we didn't have that and we were just kind of isolated in our homes, um, you know, afraid to go out, um, it, waiting for the news broadcasts and whatnot, you know, to find out what's going on. I, I imagine that would be a very different feel. At least we have online, right? So we can do like, hey, we're talking, we're communicating, we're doing a podcast. Um, we can, uh, you know, interact with our friends. We can see what's going on on a regular basis. Um, so, I mean, I think the uh, internet has its pros and cons in terms of what it's done to culture. But, um, man, it, it sure is a bit of a godsend when, when you're uh, locked, kind of locked up for a pandemic, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so I think I think spinning that back to to what like, you know, the affiliate market and the adult market and what's going to happen. You know, to me, I just think that people are going to come out of this wanting deeper experiences. They're going to want just like, you know, more quality things. Um, I think that people are starting to understand the the value of of you know what's real, the value of friendships, the value of those human connections, and you know so it's always a, a an odd segue to be like you know hanging time you know hang having having you know dinner with your good friends in that time and and then and then segueing that into you know good porn. But I think it's all the same thing. I think that there's just this opportunity to create good content and for for the affiliates out there to promote good content and for this industry to focus on good quality products of all types um, and, and, and just working on that. So I think, I think that we could, this could be, you know, going into kind of a renaissance of just, of just content, which porn should certainly be a part of as an art. I think porn is an art and it should be a part of that renaissance. So random question before I get to the next uh, um, scheduled uh, topic, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, I don't know why I was looking at your name here on my screen and, and I have you down as Yanks Todd uh, and you have yanks.com. Did you get, uh, did you get many Yankees fans showing up on your site? Like, like, Hey, you know, where's the baseball stuff? You know, never. Um, well, actually, no, we were listed. So we were listed as the official site of the Yankees in Brazil for a couple of years. Um, oh, wow. You know, I honestly, okay. So honestly, I've always thought, I've always thought that I'd get a, you know, when we, when he was alive, I thought we'd get a letter from Steinbrenner and he would be like, you you know, yeah. we've, 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 this is Yanks. This is what people think of. Like, it's a no brainer. And I always thought we were going to get taken from us. So I was yeah. always prepared to be like, you know, hey, just, I don't know, I guess I got to sell it to you. We'll do that. But, um, you know, we're always prepared to move the whole thing over to yanks.xxx. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so so there's been, there's, if you search for it a while ago, there were some fan sites that linked to us. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, never, That's oddly funny. enough. I just had that random thought. Um, so I did want to ask you, though, like, um, if you were... So with your experience in the business, if you were just starting off, if you had someone just starting off today um, and you were mentoring that person, um, what are some of kind of the fundamental uh, business skills that you think that you would advise that person, hey, invest some time in learning these things uh, before you get too serious in, in, uh, in what you're doing? Well, you know, okay, so so this is going to sound like, like uh, you told me to like pitch, why not? But every person I've ever told like every person that I've ever met that's been like, uh, hey, man, I really want to get I want to do what you do. I want to like I want to I want to learn how to get into the industry. I've always said go to Why Not and just read read articles for like a month. Like literally like don't do anything for like a month. So that's just I just want to. I mean, I've, I've done that for 20 Thanks, years. <laughs> I've done that for Appreciate 20 years. That. Thanks, man. <laughs> and, and they never and they don't because most people that say they want to own their own business really don't. They want right. they just want they just want the money um, and right. want the you know prestige of it but um, you know for me I guess it's it's always like I, I love you know I love Warren Buffett's approach to investing um, where he's you know 
kind of looks and he goes, he, he looks for good companies. You invest in good companies. You don't, you don't try to, you know, play the market. You don't try to day trade. You just, you look for good companies with good value. You know, so to me, that's what I would say. I, I would, I would say to a new affiliate that there's opportunities to, um, you know, to send traffic to these companies and make a commission off of that. Um, so you have to do two things. One, you have to build a product or a platform that people are interested in visiting because it's quality, because it's interesting, because you're providing with them, them with something and you need to build trust up with that customer. You know, maybe that's a blog. Maybe it's a, you know, review sites are great for that. Um, um, you know, even, even just a, you know, it's, it's really hard with video, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, but, you know, provide a platform to where you're offering value to your to your customers and, and don't, you know, providing value and building trust takes time. So you have to be able to, you have to be willing to put the time into it to build trust and to build something of value. Then once you have that, once you have that capital and once they believe in you, then you can send people to other places, um, to other companies. And then you should select them based on them being good products as well based on being that being that they do that they have good business fundamentals that they're giving a product to their customers that is making their customers happy i mean it's 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 just simple it's it's really simple stuff but i think that even in this industry where you can be you can be in it in a couple of days you should put the time into it and you need to understand that and so if i was you know, creating and jumping into this business right now, I would just make sure that whatever my platform is, whatever, whatever, wherever the places that I'm gathering my customers, I need to offer them something quality, something that they enjoy and something they're going to come back for. And it needs to be real. I think that's the point it needs to be real. And once you've got an audience of your own that are there for what you're providing them, then you can sell other products of, of, of other companies. And then again, that's where I would, I would go back to what Warren Buffett always does with his investments. And just you look for quality companies, look for companies that are delivering to their customers what they promise and promote them because that's going to be the long term. And it's always going to be one of my biggest complaints about the adult industry is that there's this way too much short term thinking. There's way too much short term thinking. Don't think short term think long term. Completely agree on that one. That's one of the areas we've been frustrated with over the years. People have a uh, this idea of getting rich or having a lot of money flow in in a short period of time. Um, and unfortunately, when you plan your business that way, you're not built for the long term and it's almost a guaranteed fail. Um, so changing gears a little bit here, uh, recent events in the industry wanted to get your thoughts on some of this stuff. Um, the it was pretty big news when uh, MindGeek uh, recently lost their ability to process some credit card transactions uh, for a brief time. Um, it, there, it, you know, it was it was kind of news that turned a lot of heads. Um, you know, there were there's people on both sides of this this um, this uh, um, issue, I guess, in terms of some people who have kind of a you know fuck MindGeek, um, good um, let them burn attitude, and then there were others who say. You know what? A lot of models and, and content producers now um, like them or not, they depend on MindGeek and their traffic. And when you're when you're hitting MindGeek like this, it's it's just hurting them. Um, what were your thoughts like on that whole uh, situation? Like like uh, do you and do you think that's a big deal? How do you think that might impact the industry going forward? Is this just like the tip of of the iceberg of problems we're going to be facing with banks and and, and payment processing? So I think, I think whether it's the tip of the iceberg is really kind of up to us, to be honest. It's how we react to it. Um, and I don't trust that this industry will react to it well. Um, I think that I believe that this came about and, you know, I, so, I mean, it's a very, very complex thing, but I think this came about because, uh, you know, the New York Times scooped, um, you know, scooped this adult industry is what I think is is on the, you know, on what's happening on their platform. Now I understand that there's a greater volume of violations on, on Facebook and on Twitter and, and all, all these other mainstream platforms, but we always know we're a target. 
So I think that what happened was something we all knew was happening and we didn't talk about it. And so then the mainstream jumped on it and then the credit card companies targeted them. I, I my personal feelings toward MindGeek are not, are not um, massively negative. I was one of the, Yanks um, was one of the first companies that was on YouPorn. Um, the owner of YouPorn at the time had come to us and he's like, hey, can I use your videos and I'll give you a hard link. Just link to yanks.com straight away from my site. Put a bunch of your videos up. You get all the sales. Worked out spectacularly. Um, so we've always had a relationship with them. And I, 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 don't, I don't hate the company. I think that they, they adapted to what consumers wanted. And they, they blew it up. And it's amazing. Um, how, how, how have they handled that? I don't think very well. I don't think that MindGeek is the leader in this industry they should be. I don't think that they've um, created enough of a bridge with the other, probably, you know, if you looked at the other two big players in their space, um, X hamsters and X videos, I don't think that they've created enough of a, you know, there, there's such a competitiveness and such a weirdness in this industry that you don't go to a panel and see an executive from X hamster, MindGeek and X videos on a panel talking about how to lead the industry. Um, you know, so I'm kind of torn. Um, <laughs> so many topics here to talk about. So you, you, you know what, though? But, on this one, but. Let's explore that for a second because that's actually really interesting. Sure. Like, MindGeek, my experience with them, they're not completely absent from the industry, right? There are things that I've seen them do to where they're engaging with the industry. But um, I think part of their issue is they have so much traffic. They have so much money. And they have so much of the business that I think they get into the mindset of, well, do we really even need to do anything? What do we get out of this? Um, why, you know, I've, I've had conversations with some of their executives where they seem to be taking that approach. Um, and, you know, maybe it was just that executive. So I, I can't say that that's the company's approach, but it does sort of, um, when you look at their engagement with the industry, it, it is sort of minimal. And when they do do things like the uh, award show they do, it's their own award show. Um, when we got started, like early in this industry, there was that community. We all kind of got together and we engaged and we had discussions and we had certain people who were, like you say, taking leadership roles in the industry. Um, do you think, do you think that's a problem? Do you think these companies, given how much traffic they have, how much influence they have, how much their actions affect the rest of us? Um, do you think that they ought to, maybe there's not the ROI in it that's obvious, like at first glance, but you think they ought to be engaging the industry more, you know, at trade shows and webinars, participating in things, um, maybe giving back to the industry in certain ways? Or do you think, you know what, if, if it's not making the money, um, directly, that that's really not their, their obligation? No, I absolutely. I mean, I absolutely think they all should be giving more back to the industry in in terms of leadership, in terms of of um, setting directives, in terms of so so. I have this this kind of theory of mine that in adult, there's kind of this core transaction that exists, right? Where it's it's somebody taking a picture of a naked person and selling it to another person, right? That's that's kind of the, what all this is built about, right? It's like videos are just a series of pictures. And if it's live, it's live. If it's a static, it's static. If it's a gallery, it's a gallery. Like whatever, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But it's, it's, and the person can take a picture of themselves. Like that doesn't matter. But the bottom line is, is it's this, this, this core transaction of this industry. Somebody taking a, a, just a naked image, or maybe it's even erotica. So maybe it's a, a mental picture, right? So erotica is the same thing. But it's creating a visual or visualization of a sexual act and selling it to another person. And so my theory on this is that, that, that every company that involved in this business, from the hosts that win awards, from the cam companies, from the CEOs, from the tubes, from all the big players in the industry, they all need to be talking about how to protect this core transaction and how to make this core transaction the backbone of this industry. And in doing so, what you do is you protect, protect you protect the producers and you protect the models and that that is your pipeline that is your those are your raw inputs to your product which is what we constantly lose touch of and we have these these challenges so to me i always ask myself you know is is pornhub protecting that core that core transaction is 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 x hamster is x videos i mean they they do the bare minimum they do the bare minimum 
And I, I work with them. I have channels on them. I make a ton of money from them. And if they're listening, they're like, oh, wow, holy shit. Like, fuck this guy. That, that sucks. That's really bad for me. <laughs> I, would, I hope they, <laughs> you know, I hope they, I hope they reach out to me and say, what, what are your ideas? Because to me, it's, it's do better at project, pr- protecting that core transaction, you know? Yeah, they, they have a tremendous amount of influence. And like Pornhub especially has the attention of, of the media. And you see, like I was watching um, Tonight Show the other day, too, and OnlyFans got, you know, name dropped by one of the guests. And so, you know, they went from obscurity to, um, you know, to that level of notoriety in a very quick time. The pandemic really accelerated, I think, their business model. Um, so you have some of these companies that are just like, they're the new playboy, the new hustler. They're right on the tip of the tongue of, of most Americans. And what they do, everybody pays attention to it, right? So um, with respect to back to the idea of MindGeek losing their their processing for a period of time, um, you know, it, it, you don't want to see that as a tactic, or at least I don't want to see that as a tactic that that um, anti-porn groups start using to pressure uh, adult companies, right? So how they respond to that is is important. I think they did a pretty good job of responding to it when they said, I thought their best argument was like, hey, you know, we this guy writes a, a, an editorial for the New York Times. You're coming after us as a result of this, right? And the accusation was that there was underage content on um, Pornhub that it took them too long to take down or that they didn't notice and take down or that they ignored or who knows what, right? That was the accusation. Hey, this stuff's on there and it hasn't been removed. And um, their response to that was, hey, Facebook has this much, this many times more instances of this. We're a big platform. They're a big platform. Um, What you're seeing on Facebook, Twitter, elsewhere, it, 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 it completely makes our situation look like like nothing compared to them and you're not going after them. Um, I thought that was a fair comment, but do you see any fault in that? Do you think there's a um, do you think maybe they're 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 being too clever and, and, and they have more responsibility than that? Or do you think it's fair for them to say, look, we're a big platform, some things are gonna slip through the cracks, we're doing our best, here's some changes we're trying to make, um, we're trying to be responsible players here. Well, so I think I think that's whataboutism, right? I mean, that's what they did, and and so so I'm um I guess I, I guess maybe I'll just be as blunt as I can. I mean, I'm I'm a you know I don't know I argue too much politics online, um and and so that's one of the tactics that I really get frustrated with is whataboutism, and so that's what that was. It was well, what about these guys? Well, you know I I get it. They're they're wrong, and and there's way more more instances going on there, and I agree with that. At the same time. You know when you're Pornhub, you're a target. And so do better. Like, do better. And so to, to come out with a what about instead of this is what we're going to do. Like, I guess here's what I would say, too. I, I watched, I, like, I kept checking my spam box in the, in the two weeks after that. Because I'm like, God, Pornhub has got to be writing me. MindGeek has got to be writing me. Because I've been, I've been a content provider. I've been, I've been a channel provider for, like, like since the beginning, since YouPorn, since Jonathan owned YouPorn, I've been providing them with content. There's got to be an email saying, wow, we really value your, your contributions to the channels and you putting up content and what can we do better for you? And that email never came. And so to me, that was my first question is, you know, these guys are getting hammered. They're getting millions of videos wiped out that are, that are not, you know, that are uploaded by unverified users. Where is the love for the people that are that are working and providing them with the content that's verified? And it didn't come. Yeah, that's actually a really good. I didn't know that, but that's actually a really interesting point. Why do you think that is? I mean, do you think they're just so big that they they don't see that? You know, is it like an arrogance thing, or is it is it a disdain thing, or is it they're not thinking about it? Do you have any thoughts or theories as to why they're they're not showing more attention to their verified content providers? Well, I don't want to like I don't want to hammer them too much on arrogance because because when I've had my meetings with them and talked to them, I think they've done some really amazing things. When you talk to them as a channel, as a channel, um, you know, as a channel owner and as a producer, um, I've always met with them in Amsterdam, and they provide you with a folder, and it's very thoughtful. And I've talked to you know my point of contact there and the executives you know, at length. And it was, it was a really great conversation. So there's some really, like, they have this ability to really, I do think, to take care of their people. So I don't necessarily want to call it arrogance. 
I, I feel like there's a little bit of disorganization. I feel like there's not an agenda of saying, of realizing. Um, and I, I do, I'll just, I'll spin right back to it's the short term gains. It's the short term. It's, it's not looking at the long term. It's not going like, who are the good content providers and how can we look at all these people, you know, and, and, um, and monetize the people, the content creators and the models long term. They're just, you know, even with their model platforms, I think it's short term. So, so in a way, it's you're saying they're just not ambitious enough. They should be more ambitious in terms of what the power they have and what they can do with it and how they can wield that power for, for, for benefit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay, so I, I look at my, my channel in particular with Yanks, right? Um, we, we, we have a channel that is always in the top 100, sometimes in the top 50. Um, it's quite popular. We get mixed with our niche. We get mixed with um, Abby Winters a lot, and there's – you know, a lot of, of content of, uh, you know, you know, just, just, um, you know, normal folks who are collecting playlists and including Yanks and Abby winners and girls out West and some of our similar, similar niches. And, you know, my first thought is why, you know, why aren't you monetizing this? You have so much data. You have so much data. I mean, why, you know, how could you not be reaching out to these people that you know would buy our product? And no, so, so they're not ambitious enough. They're not ambitious. They're focusing on the, on the easy, they haven't transitioned from the thought process of just, um, you know, views, ad views, ad views, ad views, ad views, ad views. So whether whoever, whoever uploads whatever, if it's legal, it kinda, and it's there, and it's ad views, and it's ad views, and it's ad views, versus, yeah, being more ambitious and being more thoughtful, being more long-term, and focusing on, um, you know, how you can take care of the people who are there for you providing content, the content producers and the models as well. You know, and I don't, I don't, I can, I've never worked from that angle, obviously. Um, but I'd imagine that if you, you did have somebody who was involved, you know, in Model Hub, they would probably have, you know, some thoughts there as well. Yeah, I, I guess um, when I saw how they sort of got targeted after that New York time, like I'm, I'm a little bit prone to uh, um, conspiracy theories, I guess you could say, when it comes to things like this, like the press and how it operates. Um, you know, I just remember back in the day, the old school approach to anti-porn. And it seems like there's this machine, you know, we don't get to see how it works, but there's this whole machine where the press writes something that's intended to be used as an excuse. Everybody knows it's coming. They put out this thing. They they say, oh, look, there's organic outrage, but it was sort of fabricated. Um, and then actions start get taken as a result of that press um, story. We saw it early on with the internet. Um, it was just nonstop stories about, oh no, there's adult content online, your children, you know, um, won't somebody think of the children? And then as a result, politicians would then use those stories to like justify new laws, new actions. Um, usually it would go nowhere in the end because they would overshoot and they would, um, they would, um, violate, you know, First Amendment protections and, and basic rights, uh, and their, their, their efforts would get struck down in the courts. But this is something a little different, right? Because if the anti-porn forces have lost time and time again when they go to the when they try to challenge content through the government, um, the alternative could be, of course, well, if you go if you use private industry instead of government to effectively censor or shut people down, they have no First Amendment uh, protection there. So you take away their ability to process. Well, that's not a First Amendment issue. You just, you know, we just, Visa doesn't want to do business with you. They've chosen not to do business with you. We know that there's nothing you can do about it if Visa does that because American Express did it. Um, if you talk about politics, there's um, the, I, I really have a hard time saying parlor. Um, I keep saying this in my podcast because it's the French word parlay, but uh, parlor, parlay, right, yeah. got taken down. Um, not adult, but it was targeted for political reasons and Amazon took it down. They really have no recourse. I think they were suing, but good luck. Amazon has the right as a private platform to set terms and conditions. Um, and if they say you're inciting violence, they kicked you off the platform. They can do that. So it, it looks like there's this roundabout way to sort of get around the First Amendment. 
And with so much of the traffic, so much of the people concentrated in just a few places, if you kick people out of that, that marketplace, out of that community, you're, you're almost silencing them. It's not quite the same as completely silencing them, but you're all but silencing them at that particular point. Do you, th- do you th- see, see this as a problem for the industry uh, that we might have to deal with more attacks coming from, you know, through private industry as opposed to these direct government attempts to regulate or, or censor? I do. I think it's a big problem. And I, I just want to be clear too. Like I'm not, um, you know, one, I'm not, I'm not anti, uh, you know, Pornhub either. Like I, I really wish, you know, they weren't targeted in that way. My, I think my theory really revolves more around the fact that I want us to do better as an industry, like to, def- to, to, to fight this, because I do think there's a huge risk of people coming after us for the processing, for the hosting, for for these little things that you're right, they're not First Amendment issues, and they're not they're not they're not morality issues, and they're not they're they're coming after us because hey, we just don't want to work with you. But you know, so my whole thrust on talking about this is always is like we are doing so poorly as an industry in being cohesive and and having an ethical platform and having a moral platform and protecting that core transaction that I don't want to worry about the outside people. Let's get us together first. Like, let's fix us, you know? And, and, and so, you know, a mild spin back to the affiliates thing. If we are an industry that is producing great content and we're, we're focused on that core transaction, there's, a, there's, a, there's going to be a huge opportunity for affiliates. And the people you cut out are the scammers and, 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 and the bullshit people. And that's what we need to do because then if we focus like that and, and you have leadership because that's what we're dealing with is a lack of leadership. Pornhub is minimal at best and I want them to be better. And that's why I'm like, I want them to hear this because I want them to do better. I want Mind Geek to do better. I want X Hamster to do better and I want X Videos to do better. And I want them to get into a room and figure out how they can distribute the most amount of legal porn produced by great producers and great models and sell that to people and make money off of it. And then in doing so, create an ethical code that then we can have as a cohesive industry that when these people come attack us, we are like we were, you know, in the Ashcroft years and we were together. That's what I want, you know, so that's what needs to happen. Yeah, that's I couldn't agree with you more. And that's actually to a little bit why we started this podcast here at Why Not To Be Honest With You is um, we felt like the industry was um, in some ways drifting a little apart into their corners. And we wanted to get the dialogue, you know, do our part, I guess, to to add to that dialogue and, and bring in people um, back to the table to discuss. And I think we are a lot stronger when we're when we are doing business together, when we're working together and when we're thinking together. Um, and that said, about thinking together, when you look at the industry in the last, I don't know, 10 years, what would you say is our biggest moral failures where if you could, if you could like wave your magic wand and say, I'm going to address this, this, you know, you know, these one or two failures, what are our biggest moral failures where you think we, we ought to be really focusing on, on improvement? Um, so to me, the first thing is leadership. Um, I was on a, I was on a panel and the, one of the last panels I was on was a state of the industry panel in Miami, um, at, at an ex-biz show. And I guess I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can, out, you, but. of course you can say it. They're part of the industry. We don't, <laughs> we don't pretend they don't exist or anything. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so anyway, I was at a state of the industry panel and, and I was on there with a bunch of, of, of leaders and I was on there with, with my, the CEO of my host hosting company and the CEO of my main processing company. And I really called everybody out and I said, what this industry needs is leadership. What this industry needs to hear from these people, because I spoke first, was actual thoughts on how to deal with problems. And a couple of people after I said that, you know, on the on the stage that I only I could hear kind of mumbled, they're like, oh, great. That's thanks. Great setup. And that's that to me was a really key, key moment in my history of this industry where there just needs to be leadership. And, you know, I'm a a part of a few boards as we all are. And I see these big topics come up like MindGeek and um, MindGeek was a particular thing. And I looked and I scanned and I'm like, there's a lot of amazing, intelligent, smart people posting and speaking and interacting. 
And what's missing is anybody that matters because they all skip out. They just, they don't have a voice. There is no leaders of this industry. There is nobody standing up. Um, well, hey, and, can I can I take a moment to brag on that one? Uh, since you mentioned um, since you mentioned one of our uh, our competitors, I got a, a little moment of leadership. I think please. that came from us uh, that I'm going to brag about and do a little victory lap about, and hopefully it please. encourages others to say, you know, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. it, it, it you, you, there are, I think, ways opportunities for even smaller players who aren't like Pornhub. Um, to actually do do their part as well. Um, one of the areas we thought we saw kind of a failure of the industry was in um, award shows around performers, right? So we would look at, and again, I'm really not trying to bash anybody. They were doing their business model for a long time, but we would look at like, um, you know, AVN awards or other award shows and how they would categorize models and performers. And we felt like there was just things that were, you know, that we've grown past in this world that was still unfortunately being done, whether it was um, categorizing people by sort of like body parts and kind of reducing models down to like, you know, like an ass or or, 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 or tits or whatever it is. And that's sort of what they become. Um, there was also, we thought, issues around race and gender that just wasn't appropriate anymore right like do we know better now um there were performers like if you were if you're a black performer you were maybe being pushed into like the best uh best ebony category or best interracial scene or something like that when it was like hey why are these performers being put in these categories you should just be up for the best uh, you know the best uh, best scene right we felt like there was there yeah. was a lot of problems there that was um, not doing right by our performers and, and, and kind of recognizing them for the people that they are. So when we did Why Not a Cam Awards, that was very much on our, uh, on our mind. Like, how do we move award shows forward? Um, so we were the first award show, I believe, I don't know of anybody else who did this before us, who had categories where we were allowing, like if we had the funniest model, for example, um, there was no reason why men, women, trans performers, it didn't matter, cis, um, everybody should be able to compete for that category. So we didn't segregate, segregate that out, right? Um, all of the categories that were open to women were open to all women. It didn't matter if it was cis women, trans women, um, if, if this was a category that we had for women only. Uh, everybody was welcome to uh, participate in that category. Um, there were things like that we did. We didn't do any categories that were reducing people down to a niche or a stereotype. Um, we did away with categories that was around um, like like ethnicity, right, and anything along those lines. And I think we did a pretty good job. And in the years after, um, there was, I think, a competitor um, who may or may not have been mentioned already who, who followed the lead there, right, and put out press releases boasting about it. And it was like, hey, this is great. You did it two years after us. It just goes to show when you do these things. And by the way, I think it was the very next year that AVN realized that some of their ethnically charged categories were inappropriate and they started making changes, right? So there are things that we can do, I think, to speak up to say, hey, these old school tactics are inappropriate. There's a problem here and we can move towards a better future. Yeah, and that's, I, I, I mean, I love that. I think it's great. You know, and that's what I want to see. I want to see more leadership. But I also want to see more leadership, and I'll just be blunt. I want to see more leadership from the the cam companies that are, you know, nearing billion dollar valuations. I want to see leadership from those CEOs. I want to le see leadership from the tubes, the three tubes that are huge. I want to see leadership from the hosting companies. Um, I want to see you know solidarity to protecting that core transaction because, you know, there are sites and link lists that you can go to where you see the top ten cam companies paying a guy and and you scroll three inches and he's promoting you know file lockers that are stealing my shit and stealing the content of all the people that are also trying to push your cams legitimately you know so this is one step away and that's what i want to see i want to see you know that kind of leadership but you know and i i i so i i, I keep i keep remembering this is supposed to be more about affiliates i'm like okay god make them about more affiliates but I feel like this is what helps the affiliate space is um, giving them the ability, you know, to sell quality companies um, and leadership will do that, you know, and, and focusing on the product. Cool. All right. Hey, man, um, one more question for you. So let's um, let's kind of do the crystal ball thing here. Um, obviously, it's a weird year. Um, you know, with 2021 being like, who knows? I mean, it's I look ahead and I think with respect to the pandemic and it's like, is this thing going to be over? 
or, or, or at the beginning of over by summer? Are we looking to end of the year? I don't know. Who knows? So I don't know what that means yet for live events, um, for opportunities for us to get together as a community. Um, I don't know how, you know, I think the pandemic has an impact on traffic, right? Some people are experiencing downward trends. Others, I think, are saying, hey, we're seeing sales up by 20%. People are home. They're engaged more. Um, you know, so I don't know what it's going to look like there. Um, and then, of course, there's on the technology front, right? Are there certain technologies like we're seeing the importance of virtual events, like, you know, increasing as a result of the lack of in-person events. Are there other technologies? Like, is this finally the year VR is really going to start hitting it big? For example, I mean, we've been hearing about it forever. If you were to pull out your crystal ball and look at 2021, how do you think it's going to unfold for the industry? Do you see any um, any 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 trends or 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 events that you foresee uh, coming to fruition here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I don't want to keep, you know, reiterating that some of the same themes, but I I just I do think we're going to come out of this, um, you know, probably having a little bit of a moment of a deep breath, you know, just 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 an inhale and exhale and be like, wow, what was all that? And kind of digesting it and then going back out there and, and reengaging everything in your life in a deeper way and looking for for quality, quality relationships and quality content and quality books. Um, and so I think that's going to play over or that's going to, you know, bleed over into everything. I think shows are going to be very interesting because people are going to be really interested to see people. Um, and yet I still think there's going to be perhaps, you know, a desire when you go to a show to find out your, to, to find out, find your, like your, your, your better connections, your deeper connections and spend more time with them. And then perhaps that results in better deals um, between people. Um, I'm hoping that all this just, you know, starts to kind of diminish some of, you know, just some of the the distractions of the industry and just makes just relationships and connections of all type types deeper. That's what I think. Very cool. And, and, and give us a, you're predicting on a date, like when do you, if you, I know you're just, you're not a doctor and you don't know. So just asking you to like, <laughs> like, like just if you were betting and you had to pick a month, when would you say is the first month? Um, that a, a successful industry event where we can get together, sit around a table, have a beer together. When would you say is the earliest that can happen? I think it's going to be sent in September. I think it's going to be after this, after the summer. And I think it's probably going to be in Europe would be the best bet. I think that's where, like, even though they, they struggle and I'm over here now, so they struggle and it goes back and forth. But I think that, I think that Europe has the mindset to get it right when they do. So I think the first event will probably be, you know, over in Europe, September, October. Very cool. And I think there is uh, several important events scheduled in Europe in September already. Uh, European Summit is is scheduled to happen at that time. And there are some um, events in the webcam industry um, that are also AW Summit, I think, is targeting um, September as well. So I'll, I'll tell you what I've been telling everybody. I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person again. Um, you know, I'm, we're all doing okay, I guess, in the pandemic, and we're lucky, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, to, to all be here and healthy and, and uh, doing business. But there's there's nothing like seeing people in person, and I'm looking forward to having a, a conversation and, and having a drink and, and seeing you in person sometime. Hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be September in Europe. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Thanks a lot, Connor. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on, Todd. Thank you very much. It was uh, great talking with you as always.